Well, hello everybody and welcome to the first episode of the not particularly imaginatively named Evangelism and Discipleship podcast. I'm Heather Cracknell and I'm part of the Evangelism and Discipleship team and uh, here are you, Dave. Dave Mal, yeah, who's also part of the Evangelism and Discipleship team. Now, just remind me, Heather, how we came up with this great title for this podcast series. Um, well, it's not particularly imaginative, I'm afraid. We, I think it's partly that um, we didn't want to be sound like tryhards. <laughs> <laughs> but um, no, I think it's just basically because um, the, uh, the Evangelism and Discipleship team and our work is going to be the primary focus of what we're going to be talking about in these um, episodes. So it felt like it was kind of rooted in that. But yeah, I don't think we really had the, uh, had the inspiration strike. I suppose we could ask our listeners to help us out with that um, in terms of, of perhaps when they've heard us uh, for a few episodes, they might be able to come up with better name, but that's where we are right now. And it's worth saying, isn't it? It's not just our fault because we did ask the rest of the team and they, their ideas were completely rubbish as well. So um, <laughs> we are now the not particularly imaginatively named uh, Evangelism and Discipleship podcast, which actually is quite hard to say, I have to say. <laughs> yes. We're going to end up with one of those crazy acronyms, aren't we, with all the letters? But um, anyway, yes. But why are we doing it then, Dave? This, this, um, you came up with this idea and, um, and kind of suggested it. What were you hoping for? Yeah, I love the idea. You've already now put all the blame on me. It was my idea. Thanks for that, Heather. Well, I think um, it was a number of things. One was just to publicise what the Evangelism and Discipleship team are doing because they are an amazing mixture of people and doing some incredible work. But much wider than that, really to um, be involved in the conversations that are going on around the church in terms of discipleship and evangelism. And lots of stuff is happening. And obviously now, suddenly with COVID, uh, things are changing. There's realignments, you know, there's questions being asked. And I, I suppose, I, I hope that this podcast might help with that conversation. Um, and that we might, through the people we're talking to, learn together, uh, share stories. Um, and we want feedback from the, the listeners as well. And you can contact either of us through uh, Twitter, uh, Reverend Head and Dave Mail 4, uh, or you can contact us through the Evangelism and Discipleship website uh, on the Church of England website. And there's lots of other ways uh, you can uh, make contact with us. So, we do really want to hear from you and hear what you think about it as well. Okay, Heather, so tell us what we're going to be covering in these episodes. So we are going to be covering lots of different areas of our work as the E&D team. We are going to be talking about discipleship and that's um, our first episode uh, and then our second episode focusing in on sports ministry which um, we've had Natalie Andrews join our team in the last year and the project get up and running uh, nationally so we wanted to dig into that a little bit more so that's our second episode um, and then our final one for these uh, episodes is going to be about new worshipping communities uh, which is obviously part of uh, the mixed economy conversation so uh, we'll be talking to church planters and uh, pioneers in that episode to to kind of really yeah again wrangle with that a little bit and uh, and work out where we need to go next as a church today our first episode we've decided is is going to be discipleship so why, why have we gone there first Dave yeah, so this is a collector's piece, the first ever uh, 
Evangelism Discipleship podcast. I think discipleship is such a key thing at the moment, um, particularly for the Church of England, but across all the denominations. Um, it's interesting you talk to other denominations and that they're thinking about what does it mean for our members to be disciples and what does that look like? And that kind of a move from just attenders or numbers to saying, um, how do we uh, enable people to grow in their faith and not just for when they come together as the church, but in every part of their lives. Uh, and I mean, it's the thing that the church has always been thinking about, but there seems to be a new emphasis upon it. So we decided that we'd go big to start with, didn't we? And we have got uh, coming up the 98th Archbishop of York, uh, Stephen Cottrell uh, will be joining with us and also Nick Shepherd, who's part of our team and heads up setting God's people free. It's a great episode. I hope you enjoy listening to it. And first up is going to be the Archbishop of York. Well, um, it's fantastic to have with us today uh, the Archbishop of York. Uh, Stephen, really great to have you with us and thank you for giving up your time. Thanks, Dave. Good to be with you. And um, we're talking about discipleship today. And um, just to start with, I wonder what you mean when you use the word discipleship, because one of the dangers of that word is that people use it in so many ways. Yes, I mean, it, it is, sorry to spoil the party right at the off, but in some ways it, it's, not the, it's not my word of choice, uh, yep. though it's the word I, I tend to use the most because it's the word that certainly within the church is most understood. I think what interests me is in the New Testament, there are lots of different words that are used to describe, let's call them followers of Jesus. Um, and actually the very first words that were used are the ones I like the best. So the very first followers of Jesus were referred to as followers of the way. You know, Jesus said, I am the way. And, and I love that description, followers of the way. Um, but that quickly fell out of use, even in the New Testament itself, as other phrases um, overtook them. And um, before we get to disciples, I think it's helpful to look at the others because that kind of builds up a big picture. So I note that St. Paul in his letters often refers to the followers of Jesus as the saints. Mm. Um, and uh, the word saint, of course, is usually we think of saint as an impossibly perfect holy person. But Paul uses it in a much more profligate way. He refers to all of us as the saints. And uh, so that's, that's a nice word to use, to say uh, the people who are holy, not because of any merit of their own, but because of what God has done in Jesus and because of what we receive from Jesus, we are holy people, we are saints. Um, th then, you get to, um, then you get to the words that are probably used the most, disciple, apostle. And I really want to hold these words together. Um, so disciple probably does mean learner, follower, apprentice. They're the kind of connotations the word has. And Jesus called people to follow him, which meant to be well recruited into that school of learning in the way of Christ, like an apprentice. And in those days you know, gurus and spiritual leaders and others would have their little band of disciples who were the, the learners, the apprentices, who were learning, as it were, from the master. But I'm interested that in the New Testament, that group of people, you know, I'm thinking now of 
of the 12 disciples, that group of people who are the 12 disciples, and there was something very important for Jesus about the number of 12, it matched the 12 tribes of Israel, and so this is the new Israel, that word that Jesus uses for the 12 disciples, he also uses for the 12 apostles. They're the same people. Now, the word disciple means follower. The word apostle means one who is sent out. Mm. Um, and I can't see any point in the, in the Gospels or the New Testament where the 12 who are the followers graduate and become the 12 who are the sent out. Mm. What interests me is that throughout scripture and at every point, you are both a disciple and an apostle, one who follows and one who is sent out. Now that I think gets you right to the heart of to what I think discipleship is about when I use the word. I'm thinking of the person who is the one who learns from Jesus and is sent out from Jesus, but I don't see it sequentially. Like I, I went to school with Jesus, I passed the test, I've got the certificate, now I'm sent out. We're constantly following, constantly learning, constantly being sent out. And of course, paradoxically, one of the best ways of learning the way of Jesus is to be sent out by Jesus. You, you learn by actually putting it into practice. So when I talk about disciples, I'm talking about a phrase I tend to use, which I hope will have currency in the Church of England, is missionary disciples. So, so that brings the apostolic bit into the, into the phrase. Mm. One, who is followed, one who follows, one who's sent out. Um, but the other word that I'd hate us to lose, quite a technical word, Christian. Christian. That's the, at Antioch, those who were the missionary disciples were first called Christians. And so my slight fear is um, that as we talk more and more about missionary discipleship, I'd hate, I'd hate us to become a two-tier church where there's some people who are the missionary disciples and then others who are just Christians. Mm. Um, everybody uh, is called to missionary discipleship, um, a share in the apostolic life, and those people are the Christians. Um, which is perhaps the highest calling of all, isn't it? To be one who is so shaped by Christ that you actually even use his name to describe you. Yeah, that's really powerful, isn't it? Because I think we've we have dissociated discipleship from Christian in a sense, haven't we? That that's become, like you say, a bit of a. And I'm really struck by what you said about there's no graduation. In fact, actually, with, with Christ, he's sending them before they could tell you anything about really what he was on about. Yeah. They are very novice, aren't they, in that sense? And that, that, that sense of interchangeably learning through being sent and then learning at the feet of Jesus and then kind of going through that again. Yeah, I really like that. And I think probably in the, in the culture of where we are as a church, it feels like there is a moment at the moment where we're grappling with this discipleship. So, so why do you think it is so important for us at this current time? Well, um, the highest doctrine of the church, the, the greatest way of understanding the church is to say the church is that bunch of men and women who've been so impacted by the life, death and resurrection of Jesus that they are now following in his way, seeking to be his presence in the world. And that's the life of apostolic missionary discipleship, the life of living out each day at what it means to be a follower of Jesus and to build his kingdom in the world. Uh, so I want to raise the bar of our expectations that we are a church where we recognize 
helping people to discover their own vocation and ministry, their share in the ministry of Christ, um, is absolutely central and essential for every Christian community, every Christian person. It's not just something certain people do with certain gifts. Um, and of course, it's also about our life in the world. It's not about things you do in church, though some of us will do things in church. It's about um, my life as being a follower of Jesus Monday to Saturday. I mean, I think one of the great things you were saying at the beginning there, Sim, is about us all being disciples um, and there isn't a kind of graduation. I, I, I wonder just for you personally at the moment, what you're finding the biggest help uh, for your own following of Jesus, particularly as you've moved into this kind of new role. Um, what, what are you finding helping you in following Jesus presently? Yeah, um, it's a weird time for for all of us at the moment. Uh, and I think what many of us within the Christian community have experienced is a stripping back of the things that we thought of as essential and probably still think of as essential, but we've been denied them. I mean, for many Christian people, probably the most obvious sign of that is, you know, denied the opportunity to share together in worship, denied access to the sacraments, to Holy Communion, um, that's been a massive, massive and painful loss. Um, and of course, we long for those things to be returned to us, um, but we're in a tough place. I think what we have discovered, though I don't want to underestimate how painful it's been, of course, is that Jesus is just as present to us in our isolation and in our separation as he is in our joining together. It doesn't mean he doesn't want us to join together again, nor that we won't receive blessings from that. So for me, having to have my Christian life stripped back, um, having to maintain my Christian life largely on my own, though I'm fortunate enough uh, to have a, you know, my wife shares my faith, so we've been able to build a little community prayer life in our home. But, but that, that for me has brought me back to the bare essentials of the Christian life. Um, the spiritual disciplines of reading the scriptures, of daily prayer, simple things like praying before you eat, um, that those become the foundations. And what I think is interesting about that is uh, looking now at the Old Testament rather than the Gospels, it, it seems clear to me that at a time of exile, when, when, when the, 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 the people of God were exiled from Jerusalem, the fall of Jerusalem, they were carried off, into captivity, what they discovered in that terrible experience was how to sustain the life of faith in the home. Mm. Um, and so I wonder whether there's nothing good about this coronavirus pandemic, you know, let's be clear, but that doesn't mean some good can't come out of it. Mm. And one of the things might be about all of us recognizing how we can sustain a spiritual life in our solitude, on our own, in our home. And that, of course, can continue. Mm -hmm. it's, it's very much people's experience, hasn't it, been of that kind of stripping back. And I, I really think people will relate to that. And um, I'm wondering if that sense of, um, of a new culture that we're in, a new kind of the way things are done around here has had to change so radically in all of this. I'm wondering what you're seeing, perhaps other stories of, um, of, of the ways lockdown has been able to 
uh, encourage discipleship as well as, as you say, challenge uh, some of that, that, uh, those things that we've always held dear? Well, yes, thanks, Heather. That's a really good question. I, I think some of the other things we've rediscovered is the importance of pastoral care. Um, I've been hugely impressed by the stories I've heard, well, and the things I've seen of churches reaching out to their local communities to serve them in very, very basic ways, um, like making sure that the, the, the person who, who, who is at risk and, and is isolating can get, can, somebody can do their shopping, get their prescription, check they're okay. Mm. Um, churches have been wonderfully imaginative and uh, and intentional in their care for their communities, joining with others and and often taking the lead, um, and you know that that's what I would call, as it were, the the the, the cash value of our discipleship. Um, that, it, that it's not about my own spiritual fulfilment. That though I'm, I might be spiritually fulfilled, but that's not the point. Mm. Um, the point is, does my life look like Christ's life that 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 in the end that's why I think you know the, the highest title of all is neither apostle nor disciple but Christian mm. does my life look like Christ's life mm. um and and is it informing everything I do even the simplest things that I do each day am I a kind person am I am I a generous person am I merciful to others and, and the only way to be merciful to others is to know just how much you need mercy yourself. Um, um, hence, hence, you know, blessed are the merciful. So, um, yeah, so I've seen some very, very good things happening in the church at this time. And although it's ghastly what's happening to our world, I think it's also purging us mm. and, uh, and helping us to learn what's essential. Most of the people listening in now are will be involved in church leadership in one way or another. And um, I wonder what advice you'd give them as they think about, well, how do we help the people in, in our pews to be missionary disciples? What, what would be some of your advice about how they can help their people to be apostles and disciples? Well, I think, again, one of the things that's really come out of uh, the last six months or so has been uh, the real taking off of digital and online church in again in hugely imaginative ways now of course I know that some clergy and some lay leaders and some churches have really found this difficult but actually it's amazing how people have learned and adapted and, and again that isn't going to change so uh, I think Thing. This is my, this would be my thought on this. I, and I, this may not be a phrase that lands with everybody, but I, hopefully you'll know what I mean. I would like every every worshiping community, every church in this land, to think about itself as a school for disciples. Mm -hmm. um, the, the primarily, um, well, the primary vocation, of course, is to worship God. That's the primary vocation. But in terms of how that overflows into our lives. Um, the primary vocation is that we learn how to be followers of Jesus. That's what the church is for, um, to help us be a school for disciples. Um, and St. Benedict, you know, the, the great father of Western monasticism, in his rule, um, 
almost the first thing he says in his rule is we need to go back to school with Christ. You know, that's mm -hmm. that's when you join the monastic community, that's what you're doing. You're going to school with Christ to learn how to be his follower. Now, I'm not suggesting for a moment that's not already on church's agendas. Of course it is. But to actually think this is what we're for um, might just shift the dial of our thinking about church life um, so that we would be giving more time to helping, supporting, resourcing people for their Christian lives in the world. The Church of England's initiative of everyday faith is very relevant here. And when we do get back to returning to our buildings, the other side of this pandemic, um, I think it should shape our thinking about what happens when the church gathers. Um, of course, we gather primarily for worship, but... Um, it's always, it's always, I've always thought how strange that we, we, we go to all that trouble to get people to come to church, then we let them go after an hour. Um, <laughs> what, would, what would happen? What would happen if you renegotiated the Sunday contract and said to people, once a month, you know, once a quarter, stay for another hour, stay for half an hour. Mm. And, and, and we'll do something different. We'll, we'll think about what it means to be a missionary disciple interesting isn't it in america kind of the the idea of adult sunday school is not dissimilar to that mm. uh, and the other thing i was wondering is whether when we talk about school of discipleship we're, we're talking more about a btec than we are a gcse you know that it's not <laughs> uh, enough information to pass the uh, discipleship exam it, but it's that yeah. it is that apprenticeship model where we're kind of talking going out coming back reflecting on on the doing as well as the, uh, the learning Mm. Yeah, that's so important, Dave. I mean, you know, the danger of all this talk is that people hear, oh, in order to be a Christian, I need to go get some training. Mm. Um, mm. Uh, now, training and all of that is really good, but, but you don't need that. Um, uh, but what you do need to do is, is practice that discipline of reflection, mm. um, that as, as we live our lives, so we reflect on what we're learning, we find ways of sharing it with others, we learn together. So it's building what, what might be called a learning community, mm, mm. which is much more about reflecting on things as it is, I need to have all this training before. Mm. Um, you know, it's not about doing an A-level in God. No, a BTEC is a good, good image. And, and as you'll know, Dave, from other conversations we've had, um, um, uh, it, it's this idea of, of not, not just being formed in order to be sent, you know, to be a disciple in order to be an apostle, mm. but being formed as we are sent. Yeah. So as we go about the business of living out our Christian lives, so we really learn what, mm. what it is to be a disciple. Mm. And often it's the refining fire of other people's questions, which is the best way of learning about the Christian faith. Mm. Um, and actually the difficult business of loving your neighbor, you know, I, I mean, I love, I love, I love the fact that Jesus doesn't say love everyone. Um, I love that because loving everyone is actually relatively easy because it's kind of abstract. I can in an abstract way yeah. love everyone, but that isn't what Jesus says. He says, love your neighbor, love that very irritating particular person who's right next to you. Now mm. that is difficult. That's mm. much more difficult because it's real. Mm. So it's in the real business of loving my neighbor that I'll actually discover um, uh, 
well, and, and have to confront some of the things within me which are not of Christ. Mm. I've just literally come um, before this conversation uh, from from talking about um, learning communities and how to set them up and uh, and thinking about what we've been dwelling on with that is really the kind of sense of wisdom that we need that it, that knowledge gets you so far but wisdom takes you you know takes you into that d different place and that sort of I, I always use the phrase that um, uh, knowledge is knowing that a tomato is a fruit and wisdom is knowing not to put it in a fruit salad so it's yeah. like what you do with what you're learning um and and that uh, one of the other things about learning communities is so much about how we help people feel safe enough to try some things you know in that sending out um that you know i'm pretty sure that the apostles were terrified at being sent out in their in their pairs into the into the countryside and you know that sense of how did they how do we get people to feel safe enough to take the risk of trying out this christ-likeness in in their workplace for example or you know in their sports uh, sports hall or, or their kind of gym club or whatever it is you know in the pta meeting how do they feel feel safe enough to take that risk of, of living it out and that that for me is is that that really important thing about how do you set a culture in church that says it's okay to try stuff and that you don't have to be good at it first time and you know and what do you learn from when it didn't go quite how you wanted it to i'm, I'm really also struck as well with with your consecration of course was was such a different thing from anything else that, that, the, that the church has seen. You had to enter into that in a way that was really, I think made you quite vulnerable actually. It's very different to have your mitre and your, all, the, all the cope and all of the rest of it at the front of a big cathedral or minster in your case. But you know, that sense of actually, it was you on the screen and it, there was a sense of much more vulnerability, I think. I wonder what you think is, is your role in helping perhaps the whole church to, to model that sense of it being okay to be a bit vulnerable? Yes, oh Heather, I, yes, I, th thank you. I ha hadn't quite thought of it in that way. I mean, it, what, my beginning as Archbishop of York was, needless to say, not how I imagined it would be. And I, I, grieve, for, I grieve for the fact that I couldn't say goodbye to the mm. church I was serving in the way that I wanted to, nor have I been able to say hello in the way I wanted. Mm. Mm. Um, but actually, the service that took place in York Minster was very moving. And for me, the most important bit of it was there is this ceremony when bishops are uh, enthroned and installed in their cathedral that you stand outside the cathedral and knock on the door to be let in. Um, but I thought, as we weren't having a big service where all that was happening, we came up with this idea that I'd knock from the inside of the door to be let out. Uh, and I liked the imagery of that. Um, that I want the doors of the church to be open, um, open to the world. Um, I mean, let me tell you a little story. Um, when, I, when I was first ordained as a priest, um, uh, it was, I was celebrating the Eucharist for the first time, which was a much looked forward to anticipated occasion where you actually, as a priest, it's when you feel most like a priest when you celebrate the Eucharist. And uh, when I celebrated for the first time, there was this mother and tiny baby sitting in the front row and the baby just screamed his way through the service in the way that sometimes small babies can. And at first I have, I'm ashamed to say, I was, you know, I was feeling irritated. You know, this baby is spoiling my service. Um, and thankfully by the grace of God, nothing to do with me. I sort of came to my senses 
and actually drew a different conclusion, which is I don't want that baby ever to stop crying. Not only because I want children to be welcome in church as they are, that's not the point. It was actually what I heard was the cry of the world. Mm. But you can't shut the doors of the church to the cry of the world. The doors of the church have to be open to the joy, the sorrow, the pain of the world. And if that means making us a bit more vulnerable, a bit more humble, it's not about us, you know. Um, I suppose, uh, you know, who knows what's going to happen with me as Archbishop of York. I just think I just need to say to the Church of England, don't worry, you know, in 10 years it'll all be over. Um, <laughs> but, um, uh, you know, God, 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 has a, God plays a much longer game. Mistakes are made. Um, but... Um, uh, but what I'm going to try to be is um, somebody whose who's focus is on the world mm. um, with the doors open, with all the challenges and difficulties that brings. And just to be honest and transparent, goodness me, we've messed some things up. Mm. Um, and, and we don't look like Christ a lot of the time. Um, but that can change. Mm. I mean, taking that on at that image of kind of going out of the open door, um, obviously one of the dangers of uh, the church talking about discipleship is that it all centers around what we do when we gather together um, and I just wonder your reflections on because we're called to be disciples the whole of our lives not just in, in when we go into church meetings or church services and um, uh, how you see in a sense um, the importance of being disciples as we leave as we go out that door and spend most of our week uh, you know, in our homes, in our workplaces, uh, in our communities. Yes, I mean, you know, you know, the, the, the famous words of Jesus at the end of Matthew's gospel, you know, known as the Great Commission. Um, I, I'm no great Greek scholar, but my understanding is that you can legitimately uh, interpret those words in two ways. So first of all, it's, it's go make disciples. So it's a very definite commissioning to the church, the, the little band of disciples that were then, to go and make more disciples, go and do it, go into all the world and do it. Um, and that certainly is the, the calling and vocation that some people have, a very definite calling to, to go and share the gospel in that way. The trouble is, because not everybody has that calling, and it'd be a nightmare if everybody did, um, <laughs> uh, because not everybody has that calling, we can kind of let ourselves off the hook. Oh, God hasn't, you know, I'm, I'm a, you know, I'm a, I don't know, I'm a single mum or I've got this job or I'm, I'm, I'm you know, I, I can't do that. So that's not my job. But actually, there's another interesting way of, of interpreting those words. The, the Greek carries a second meaning. It could be not just go make disciples, but as you go make disciples. Mm. which I read as, as you go about your business as a, a single mama, plumber, a university professor, a bishop, you know, wh whatever it is that you do, as you go, as you go about the daily business. Um, and so again, I suppose that's the real test, isn't it, of the Christian life. The test of the Christian life is, you know, how I treat, how I treat the dog, you know, how I, you know, what I do with my money. Mm. What, the, the things in my life which nobody else sees mm. um, um, that's the real test of the Christian life not, not, not the public persona mm. but is there, is there any alignment between the, the things I declare to be true because, I, because I'm a Christian the things I do and say in public and the, mm. the hidden things that 
hardly anybody will ever see. Mm. Um, and I don't mean that because God sees it and therefore, you know, back up your ideas, behave yourself, God's looking. I, I don't mean it in that way. I, I mean, it. you know, when I look at myself in the mirror, mm. is, is there a... Is there an alignment in my life? And of course, the answer is no. So that, that I don't need to be depressed about that. I just need to say I'm a work in progress. I, I need to re, you know, I need to go back. You know, I need to say I, my L plates have not come off yet. I'm still a learner. It's really interesting you saying about what's aligned. Uh, that one of the practices that I've found so helpful in um, lockdown is the examine prayer where you're you're kind of reviewing your day with God and thinking about where was I drawn closer to God and where was where was I distracted away from and that that's I think because of all the change with lockdown and everything uh, you know that it helped me to really sort of pay attention to to that and that discerning of of, of where am I finding God uh, our colleague Nick who um, we're going to hear from later in this episode is is always saying that you know we want people to find and follow God in their everyday lives and that sense of where how do we find and how do we follow is that's I really like that phrase it just and the examiner has, has helped me do that in these weird strange times I'm wondering what your prayer um, uh, life has, you, you mentioned about that that kind of becoming more of your home and your, your home community and, and clearly that's really important what would you also say about that kind of importance of of prayer in, in all of this. Yeah, no, thank you. And, and what you were saying about the examen is really what I was referring to earlier about, you know, that the, 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 the spiritual disciplines that sustain a Christian life that can be lived out in solitude and if, with others in the home, if, if you share your home with others. Um, uh, my, only other, my only other little thought on this would be about, um, weaving prayer into daily life into the existing rhythms and routines of daily life because again i think some people feel unless i can carve out a dedicated holy half hour of prayer then i'm not praying so the only wisdom i have on this is about rather than thinking of prayer as this dedicated set apart space which just may not be practical uh, for many people look at the rhythms of your life most of our lives have routines and rhythms in them and say how can I weave prayer into it you know so if you take the dog for a walk each day as I do um, that walking with the dog can be a time of contemplation um, uh, if you have a shower each day as many people do you know that or a shave or get, you get stuck in the same traffic jam each day I mean don't close your eyes for prayer at that point but <laughs> you know there's there's things you can you can look at your day yeah. and say there are opportunities within this day where I can um, consciously uh, tune myself back into the into God. I mean, St. Paul yeah. says, doesn't he, in that irritating way of his, pray all the time. Yeah. Um, now, surely Paul doesn't mean do that activity we call prayer all the time. He must mean make your life a prayer. Mm. And the way that you make your life a prayer, not not that I know. I'm, I'm striving towards it very slowly um, but I think it must mean how can every moment and part of my day be prayerful yeah. and therefore looking at the day and thinking how can I consciously weave God into this day might be a, might be a way to start and also might liberate you from thinking unless I can do it a certain way then I fail. Mm. 
Yeah, reminds me of a book I read years ago. I can't even remember the name of the author, but it was called Patterns, Not Padlocks, and was talking about all those, the kind of things that you were talking about there, Stephen. Um, how yeah, how we how we find those right patterns that don't feel that we're kind of restricted by uh, what we should do or we always have done or whatever. Um, Stephen, thank you so much for sharing. Uh, with us we really appreciate it as we are thinking about discipleship and uh, thank you so much for being with us and um, uh, we really have appreciated said your time and your wisdom thanks a lot many blessings thank you well it's great to welcome nick shepherd dr nick shepherd who is a member of the E&D team. And um, it's the obvious place uh, to start because our first episode is about discipleship. And uh, Nick, do you want to tell us what your role is in entailing? Yeah, so I am uh, the illustriously titled Programme Director for Setting God's People Free, uh, which was, uh, I think, Moses's first job. So I'm, I'm, I'm in company that I cannot, you know, um, graft the coattails off. But effectively, uh, what we're trying to do in all that work is to find out different ways that we can help people uh, to form communities where together we share in the journey of finding and following God in everyday life. That's um, it in a nutshell. Thanks, Nick, for that. Um, I mean, simple question to get going. Uh, the word discipleship, I mean, not everyone in the church likes that word. Um, why do you think that's the word that's most used at the moment? And what, what, do, you, what do you mean by that word, discipleship? The fact that he disappears after the Gospels is is for me quite important because I think what happens in the transition from the Gospels into the Epistles and in particular Acts is a re and because of Pentecost um, is a is a re is a reimagining and understanding of what the calling and the role of the church is. Um, so the idea of being disciples um, and kingdom citizens joins together uh, in the it was in Mark's Gospel those two terms are used. Um, but into the epistles, the notion of being kingdom citizens becomes a much more kind of framed term that the church is called to participate in God's renewing of the whole of creation. Um, and part of that task is staying close with and abiding with Jesus. And that kind of narrative around discipleship is kept. Um, and you're, you're right, though. I mean, not everybody likes the word, partly because it becomes uh, fixed on uh, particular traditions or particular ways that you might have experienced uh, how we are formed and shaped and grow as Christians. Um, I'm, I'm quite keen on that there being a range of words that we can use that all roughly describe the same sort of thing. Um, so uh, Christian formation, faith formation, discipleship, catechesis, they all point towards uh, a single kind of journey really, which is how do we uh, grow and develop ourselves as more Christ-like individuals and share in communities that understand that we're all called to serve God's mission in God's world. So for me, being kingdom citizens, being disciples, uh, being uh, sharing the Christian life, um, even the apostolic life that some people use, they're all pointing to the same thing, which the whole church is called to serve in the whole mission of God. And to do that, we are formed and changed by God's spirit in order to uh, be able to fulfill that calling. And I think the other problem with the, the term discipleship is it, it's received as quite a technical term. Um, yes. So we hear we hear it as we would hear schoolwork or as we hear mm. learning. Um, and it and it can be felt as being something that is a duty, something that is um, a tough ask. Um, and it is, you know, in terms of following Jesus is is, is challenging. Um, but I think there's something about the kind of ordinariness of living the Christian life. 
um, that we could do well to recover um, and some of the technical things about what discipleship might mean to people um, learning about the Bible learning about um, uh, Christian ethics learning about all of that kind of stuff that might help some people um, isn't the totality of what we're called to be it's about living our life of faith across all of the places with all of the people that God sends us so Nick, why do you think um, the Church of England has, has kind of ended up in this place where we need a programme director to help us refocus on this? The, the Church of England is not the only church that struggles with how do we live out our faith uh, across the whole of life. Um, and when you look at the reports that the Church of England has produced on um, the, the, how the laity are engaged in the whole mission of God, how do we do Christian discipleship and formation, what's the shape of ministry, um, we've been on this journey since at least the early 1900s um, and I think what that shows us is it's actually mirrors the journey in a kind of modern secularizing diversifying society so part of the challenge that we face as Christians in the Church of England is the same as any Christians in the UK Northern America Western Europe Australia is how do we live out our faith in a secularized society uh, how do we talk about God in a, in a context where um, not everybody believes or even might even give a, a second thought to the existence of God? How do we understand what being Christian means when a lot of the ways in which we're taught about how the world works don't have any sort of spiritual dimension or certainly any place for, for God's activity outside of a private sphere? So, so part of what we're trying to do in understanding uh, the, the richness of the Christian life is to, is to reimagine how we find and follow God in a, in, a, in, a, in a world that doesn't always support and celebrate that. Mm. And, and that's common to all, to all Christians. But I think the Church of England in particular, um, because we have, uh, we have had historically a kind of very tight association with there are certain roles that we might class as being spiritual roles. There are certain roles that are public roles for being um, a, a representative um, Christian, either lay or ordained. Um, what we tend to do um, is, is, is defer to those types of roles as being the ways in which the church lives out its public faith. Um, and, and for a lot of people, we've either not skilled people in understanding how do we do that ourselves as individuals, or we've, we've made it difficult for people to imagine uh, what that looks like um, if you don't go into one of those, those formal roles. Mm. So what we're trying to do in the whole work around everyday faith is to, is to kind of normalise the fact that we are all in this together, to coin a phrase that's been damaged, um, that we, we're, 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 we're people who are working out what it means to find and follow God in our different contexts. Um, and no one is a kind of ahead a of the game in that. No one has got a privileged position in that. We're all called to do that. Um, and that's a shared endeavour that we might have ministerial roles, but those ministerial roles are really given to the church to enable the whole church to work out our calling and vocation. So Nick, imagine we've now got a time machine and the three of us have been transported to 2030. Um, what would you what would you love to be seeing in the church from the impact of, of the work you and others are doing? There are several things that would be really good to see. The first would be that when you uh, engage in any sort of church gathering, whether it's a formal meeting like a Dyson Synod, an informal meeting uh, with friends in a coffee shop or a, a home fellowship, um, or a church meeting on a, on a Wednesday night um, in a cafe or on a Sunday morning in a church building, um, that the, the, the focus of conversation um, is a buzz with the different ways in which people have 
encounter God in their daily life or have been challenged by some circumstances and worked through how God has met them in that. Um, that 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 we there's a sense in which um, a, a life of faith really is a 24/7 uh, encounter with God's presence, um, and that those are the stories that we share, um, and that they're naturally shared. That people are curiously talking about those things, um, and then when we get to any formal points in those gatherings, um, there's a sense in which those stories are being gathered together and celebrated. Uh, that sermons are um, connecting with um, people's testimonies, not just giving examples uh, to try and inspire people. So I think I think it would be that that would be it would be something of that nature. Um, that there's a general sense in which uh, we we have much more of awareness um, that God is present with us uh, in our day to day, and that we're beginning to recognise that more and more, and talk about that uh, more and more openly. Right. Sounds like the sort of church that I'd like to be part of. What do you think are the barriers for for that coming to pass? Well, I think some of them are uh, a, a structural. Um, so um, it's been interesting to to note, just in reflection of my own church uh, that my wife leads, um, that um, over Zoom uh, we've noticed that people have been much more. Uh, ready to talk about some of their life experiences and the place of faith in that uh, than we ever found when we met in our building. Um, and it's not surprising because in our building we sit in rows um, and listen to people from the front and on Zoom, uh, you through breakout groups, we were en encountering one another. Now for me, one of the interesting things is, is that um, as you kind of go back into, into, into other types of gatherings, that changes the dynamic. Um, so part of what we can do with, the, with, with, with our churches is to think about how do we change some of our patterns and practices to help those conversations come into being. Um, I remember there was, a, there was a friend of mine called Marcus, who's a minister, uh, vicar in, in South London, um, and he had a baptism family uh, come to the church baptism service. Um, and they were doing what we call a this time tomorrow slot, where someone from the congregation was sharing what they would be doing this time on Monday morning. Um, and the person shared about their working life and the company that they worked for um, and the challenges and joys of being a Christian in that place. And then they prayed for that person in the role that they were doing. And at the end of the service, one of the baptism party came up to the vicar and was just enthusiastically saying, what a brilliant service that was. It was absolutely fantastic. And my friend Marcus tells it and says, yeah, I, I, I really thought I nailed the preach on that one. I, you know, no wonder he's so keen about this service. And then the guy said, the thing that was brilliant was this that this time tomorrow slot that you did. It's like, I never knew there were Christians in my industry. So I work for a rival company to that person. And, and I so agree with everything they said about the pressures that they face in that job. Mm. And it was really interesting to hear how their faith was part of what it meant for them to do that role well. Um, and mm. and I, I always remember that thinking, well, well, that's that's the kind of thing that we need to be much more attentive to in terms of how we encourage people uh, to think through that all of us uh, have a story to share in our uh, different callings and different places where uh, we're serving God. Yeah, thanks for that. Great stories as well. Um, for some reason, we assume this is all for adults. I, I wonder what, what, what you're doing, what's happening around uh, work with children and young people. So we've always seen that, that, that everyday faith um, is, is about the whole people of God. 
um, in our different circumstances, different ages, different demographic groups, um, different ethnicities, different cultures and contexts that we live in. Um, and one of our stories in the Everyday Faith uh, Reflections that we uh, launched uh, earlier in 2020, in January, um, was um, the story of a, of, a, of a party and a young girl who had been invited to a party uh, from a school friend um, and wasn't sure that she wanted to go because um, she wasn't sure if, if, if other her friends were going. And she, she tells the account of kind of praying about it and, and feeling a sense of actually, what would it be like for me if no one came to my party? What would it be like if I, you know, if I didn't, you know, respond to this invitation? So she decided she'd go to the party, told her friends she'd go to the party. And then there was a kind of cascade of people all deciding that they were going to go to that party. And it was a good party. And the person that she didn't know very well in the school that had invited her had a really nice time and, and people went. Um, and so in that instance, she changed the culture of her classroom and, and did something for someone that was a real gift and, and, and discerned that. And so we've always been attentive to, uh, to those stories. But I guess we're recognising that one of the things about how we encourage people to live out our faith in everyday life is to, is to really focus on how we share those stories in the home and how we help people to think through what it means to share faith together in the home. Um, so at the start of the kind of lockdown period that we've just had, uh, with our education team at Church House and Dyson colleagues, uh, we launched a series of resources called Faith at Home, uh, which really tries to put everyday faith at the, at the heart of the home. Uh, so encouraging parents to be open about their struggles in, in appropriately in their workplaces and to, and to talk about how faith is active in the whole of their life. Uh, and similarly to do that with, with, with kids of different ages. Um, and we're going to be building on that in the next few, few months. So the education team are uh, um, going to be developing a whole new series of resources that really kind of help people to continue that journey and think about what it looks like in different types of households. Would you like to tell us about some resources that uh, are, are either in development or available um, to, to, to help people with this, this work of everyday faith and helping their congregations or their families engage with it? Sure. So um, a set of resources that we've got out now are our everyday faith resources. And you can find those. Uh, anyone can find those on the Church of England website just by going to churchofengland.org forward slash everyday faith. And we've got two main things that we're encouraging people to start with. Um, one is our journey of reflections around everyday faith. So 21 days um, stories and readings that help us to think through uh, how do we each find and follow God in our everyday uh, which is different for different people. Um, and accompanying that is um, a booklet called Everyday Faith for Churches, which has seven very simple shifts that churches can do uh, to help um, raise awareness and encourage people to talk about everyday faith um, and, to, and, to, and to make that part of your kind of culture as, as a church. So that's the kind of um, opening point for people. Um, and we're also doing some things with our colleagues in Church House Publishing around our prayer life as a church. Um, we're very aware that if we are called to serve God across the whole of life, uh, then praying for the whole of life and praying for people in different roles and circumstances is really important. Um, so there's a new uh, version of the Time to Pray app and booklet, uh, which picks up on a very simple, very Anglican idea of a cycle of intercessions. And every week we're praying for um, different people in different um, circumstances. 
Um, so one week we might be praying for those involved in farming and fishing, the next week in journalism, the week after that for people who are unemployed or seeking work, uh, a whole variety of thinking about where are we uh, living out our callings across the whole of life. Um, and we're encouraging people to share their, their, their stories of everyday faith through that on social media. Uh, and in development, uh, we're beginning to think through what might it look like to be more attentive to the world of work, particularly at a time that we're coming into now, uh, where we're firstly more aware as a society about some of the hidden roles uh, that are so important to us. So our street cleaners, our shopkeepers, uh, our bus drivers, um, as well as people that we know in, in vocations like healthcare, uh, that we've always known of the fabric of society. So we're thinking through how do we um, focus attention on uh, what, what good work looks like um, and how Christians across our country are engaged in roles and see that really as a, as a, as a gift to the common good um, mm. of, our, of our nation. So we're, we're looking at different resources around faith at work and working with um, an organisation called Transform Work UK who have over 800 work-based fellowships of Christians from all denominations uh, meeting over Zoom at the moment, mostly uh, for prayer activities and to share their stories together. Um, and the network of groups called the Christian Professional Sectors Group. So Christian lawyers, Christian teachers, uh, Christian healthcare workers to, to help us think through how as the Church of England, can we really support faith at work and encourage people to see our working lives um, as being part of our calling. Oh, Nick, thank you for that. Um, and uh, it's been great to chat with you. Really, we've really appreciated it. And uh, I'll be thinking about your dinner, I think, tonight when I'm sitting down for mine and wondering how it's going. So thanks a lot, Nick. It's a pleasure. Thanks. Well, that, as they say, is a wrap. We've got through our first podcast episode of the not particularly imaginatively named evangelism and discipleship podcast so um it's been great to hear from archbishop stephen and uh, and nick so uh, I, I really loved hearing archbishop stephen talking about the uh, the weaving of faith throughout life i thought that was just a lovely phrase that he used yeah no i i really like that and i like that idea of kind of as part of that kind of uh about being a Christian, hadn't really thought so much about that, how we don't use that term anymore. And that idea of kind of being aligned with Jesus and needing to be realigned as well, I thought was, was a really helpful way. And, and I think the reminder from Nick about it being about the whole of life, I think is really, mm. we, particularly with church leaders, we tend to kind of focus on what's happening in church or our, the numbers coming to church meetings and, and not think about everyday life really. Mm. I was particularly struck, I've been doing some work around thinking about how might you um, are, uh, get a sense of people's discipleship by asking, you know, really good questions. And so often we ask, do you go to Bible study or yeah. do you yeah. do a quiet time or, you know, and it's, it's that sort of, it's a bit too religious, really, isn't it? And whereas actually it's perhaps those questions can be, when was the last time you felt God prompting you in, in a conversation that you had at the gym or, at, at, you know, in the bus queue or with a work colleague or, you know, those sorts of things. It's much more that threading of, of faith and life and the interweaving of that. And Stephen's saying about, um, you know, it's not, it's not the things that everyone sees necessarily, although when you're claiming to be a Christian, you're saying I'm identifying with Christ. Therefore, yeah, the, the, the way we are with other people, but it is those inner, inner attitudes as well, isn't it? So much, I love that, that sense of depth, I think, that Stephen brought was really, I, that, I find that really inspiring, actually.
I remember listening to a, a leader talking about how he tries to always do one thing that nobody else knows about to protect mm. you from that kind of thing of, well, I'm only doing this because people then all respond really positively. So um, uh, he was talking about what he does um, and he was talking about actually uh, helping out with another church that nobody knew about, a small little church. He was the pastor of a big successful church. Uh, but no one knew about it. Uh, well, until he told, told the story, then he obviously that wrecked it. But you get the point of that kind of, you know, uh, who are we when people aren't looking, I think is a, is a really important part of that alignment. Mm -hmm. I, I love the phrase that Stephen used of missionary disciples of bringing together being both an apostle and a disciple and that um, we need to be both and they interact and, and kind of catalyze each other really. Yeah. Well, thanks for joining us for our first episode and um, hopefully you'll tune in again for episode two. Episode two uh, will be uh, on the theme of sports ministry and we've got some really great um, interviews and, uh, and discussion in that episode two. So look forward to having you join us again. Thanks ever so much for your time. Goodbye. Bye.